we felt it was right to start this week's show spending a couple minutes on the tragic events that took place in East Lansing at Michigan State University on Monday night. First and foremost, we'd like to extend our thoughts and prayers to everyone that was affected by this horrible situation and especially the victims in this event and their families. We'd also like to extend a thank you to law enforcement and really anyone who helped on Monday night in the wake of this tragedy. There's really not a lot to say that hasn't already been said. It's a senseless act of violence, um, as we've seen way too many times in our country. And it's, it's a weird thing where we see them happen far too often, um, but it's when they hit really close to home that we feel it almost on a different level. This, this day, the next day, kind of feels similar to the Oxford shooting that happened in our state. Just a sickening, helpless feeling. Kind of, as a human, you really feel a wider range of emotions from f- initial fear, uh, panic and worry for friends and loved ones. Then it goes to curiosity as to how someone could be compelled to do such a thing grief, sadness, anger, frustration, a, a wider range of emotions that, that happen in situations like this. For Alex and Evan, members of the show, they, they spent multiple years at Michigan State, graduated from there. Uh, for myself, spent countless days, nights visiting people, friends at this campus, and, and all three of us still have friends and loved ones that were on campus that night and Thankfully, they're they're all safe, but just just a terrible situation overall. And you know, as a as a sports podcast in Michigan, it, it's a weird dynamic where a lot of times we as fans make sports out to be way more serious than they really are. And and all it takes is you know an event like this or a kind of real substantial thing that happens to make them all feel so meaningless and in an instant, really, um, and put, puts things in perspective. For us, we, we, we kind of discussed what our plan should be this week. And, and like I said, we wanted to start this episode by addressing the situation because it's really been at the forefront of our minds. And ultimately, we feel like our, our role, our small role in the Michigan ecosystem, if you want to call it that, is as a lighthearted sports comedy podcast. We'd, we'd like to still do this week's episode as normal to hopefully provide everyone with a small window of normalcy, use it as an escape. Um, if, if even it can 1% make you feel better during your day of that's just your routine, you listen to us, you have a laugh here and there, we'd like to provide that. If, if you're out there and you can't really think about anything else like most of us can't completely understand turning it off right now and not not listening this week but with all that being said and with this tragedy on our minds we'd like to hop into episode 109 cheers to episode 109 drinking coffee tonight the date and time today is tuesday 
February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. The time is 6.30 p.m. Central Time. Welcome in to the number one sports podcast in the state of Michigan. And football is over. And this is a first for the podcast, a solo, a solo episode. Um, It's just myself tonight. A very rare thing. I'm nervous about it, so please bear with me, everyone listening. Might be a little awkward at, to- awkward at times, but we are going to work through it together. The reason for this, you're probably wondering, is because our schedules were very out of whack this week. Myself out of town over the weekend. Sunday night, our kind of new routine night. Obviously, the Super Bowl was taking place. Alex, later this week, preparing for it tonight is hanging out on a very fun ski trip on the east coast i will not divulge the location because i know him and his dad top secret information and then evan you know his grind weekend refing games super bowl and then also monday tuesday playing coaching some high school basketball action so I consulted with the guys and said, you know, I've always wanted to try a solo episode to see what it was like. I listened to a lot of sports podcasts and uh, many hosts do little solo intros and whatnot. I was like, I wonder how hard that is to do. So I've come prepared with my notes and we will be diving in to the biggest sports topics, uh, both nationally with a little Super Bowl talk. And then for in our state, the Pistons made a trade and we have our usual college hoops action. But first, as normal, the weekly check-ins. Thankfully, you listeners know I typically don't have much to say, but I did do uh, a first this weekend. I went ice fishing for the first time in my entire life. I went to Lake Winnebago in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. So a little bit about that place, about a four and a half hour drive from me, had great weather, um, went with a mix of my dad and his friends, and then also some of my friends from high school. It was a really fun experience. A lot of laughs were shared over the weekend um, on a nice cabin on Lake, Lake Winnebago. My kind of takeaways or highlights is ice fishing does require um, a lot of skill in the sense of it's a lot to set up, a lot of equipment, a lot of knowledge of the lake you're on. It definitely helps to be a quote-unquote expert or guide on a lake, having lived there, to know where the fish bite. And then once once you're set up out there on the lake, it's a pretty fun process to see fish biting. I had some cameras set up so you could see the fish come right up to your lure and bait and, and yank them up. I guess, stop burying the lead here. I did catch one fish. Um, but it isn't much of a lead because it was a pretty small fish, a small perch that we ended up throwing back. We didn't have a ton of success on Saturday and Sunday, but the fellows on Friday before I was there went out with a guide, like I had mentioned, on Lake Winnebago and caught a good chunk of fish. Tasted great, very fresh. And then, like I said, a lot of laughs throughout throughout the nights, a lot of euchre, a lot of cards being played for some Midwest guys. And then watched the Super Bowl on Sunday night in the cabin and then drove back. So that was my weekend. It was it was very enjoyable. A good a good reset in nature. Stayed warm the whole time, thankfully. Came prepared with layers. Um it was good just to be off electronic devices for an extended period of time, which is something that I think we all could use in our society. 
Evan and Alex. I already kind of talked about them at the beginning there of why this weekend couldn't work. Evan obviously roughing hoops his weekend. Alex preparing for his ski trip that we'll all be excited to hear about when he returns. So without further ado, let's hop into actual sports. We have the Super Bowl, Chiefs-Eagles. The headline from this game for me was this was a fantastic football game, in my opinion. I know that people are going to be fixated on the elephant in the room, which is the holding call by Bradbury at the end of the game, which I'll say now, yes, in the moment, very, I was very upset with it. I still, to this day sitting here, wish it wasn't called. Think if I was a ref, I would have swallowed my whistle. It's easier said than done. They're human beings making a judgment call. At the same time, I feel all that. I can't acknowledge he did grab his jersey at at least one point in the play. Earlier in the play than the replay kind of showed, which added to people's anger, I think. A common theme in football when the penalty actually occurs early in the play, but then the replay only picks up the latter half of the play where the contact is much more minimal. We had a little bit of that going on in the situation, but even with that being said, the official didn't throw the flag until very late, which also adds to the anger that people feel because it's one of those where it almost felt like they're waiting for the play to play out and then decide they want to insert themselves. I think I speak for all of America that wanted that we wanted to see those teams settle it with the least amount of flags called as possible because it was, like I said, truly awesome. But if we're doing the hindsight 2020 excuses game, the Eagles had so many chances to win that game, and you can't just be like that one play cost them in the grand scheme. For example, they had the Jalen Hurts butterfingered play where he drops it, fumble six. There's a there's a gift touchdown right there. And then you look at the second half where they couldn't their defense that was fantastic all year couldn't get a single stop. They did not stop the Chiefs a single time in the second half, which ended up being one, two, three touchdowns given up and a field goal. So you give 24 points up in the second half of a football game, even though you built up a 10 point lead in the first half, it's going to, it's going to crumble. And if, if you're a fan of the sport, looking back, try to try to focus on those things as opposed to just that one holding call on a side note for myself, Philly fans, I go back and forth with them. I, I do respect how passionate they are, but a lot of times they just come off as very, I mean, obviously they have the reputation of Philly scumbags. And as a city, I don't, I don't mind saying that because they almost embrace it, lean into it. I don't mind seeing them lose when you behave the way they behave and you have the bad reputation, them losing puts a little grin on my face. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie to you guys. So that's kind of how I felt on, on a note after the game. I'm sure if Alex were here tonight, he'd love to talk about Patrick Mahomes and his greatness. I mean, the kid owns a jersey of Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, he wasn't feeling the same high as if the Lions won a Super Bowl. But when he's back on, we'll have to ask him how happy he actually was. Because I was thinking, like, I don't have a ride-or-die NFL player like that that he does. I don't know how happy I would feel if if I was in his situation. I feel like I'd feel a little bit dirty, in a sense, where, like, He's just my favorite player, and I don't, he's not my team. I'm more of a team guy, not individual guy. So we'll have to ask him, like I said. 
But on Mahomes, he played phenomenal. And he's a gamer, and I don't know why people were kind of buying into, like, the, like, hamming up the injury thing. I I mean, he's not, he's not like a fake it, fake it guy. He's, he's playing through it. He's given everything he had. He, he had so many chances to slide on some of his scrambles and he decided to get the extra yard and fight through contact. I mean, he was one of the most impressive performances with a bum ankle I can think of, honestly, that I've seen in my life in, in the moment. So he gets the second Super Bowl, five, five time, uh, award winner. He's won MVP twice. Just a, a heck of a resume for him. Five-time Pro Bowl or probably five multiple-time All-Pro. He's he's on a historic path. We'll, I'm not going to get into the GOAT debate. That's not what this is about. I'm more about living in the moment. If he retired tomorrow, he'd go into the Hall of Fame with the resume he's built. The question that was on my mind is we did a question early in our podcast days of what would you give up in your life to guarantee the Lions get the next Tom Brady, which essentially meant like you're getting a guy that's going to win you at least five Super Bowls and was just the guy in the league. And I forget at the time, maybe we joked that we'd give up Taco Bell for the rest of our life. I think that same question, although early in his career, applies to Patrick Mahomes because the excitement of how he plays the game and the way he's able to backpack his team to victories is on that on that elite tier that all-time great tier, I think, already in his career. We'll see how it all unfolds, like I said. But I would give up. I would definitely do the Taco Bell exchange. I don't need Taco Bell ever again for the Patrick Mahomes to get the Lions. I'll have to I'll have to think more on this, maybe ask the guys this in the offseason question. But, like, what are we giving up? Because especially now, you know, with how exciting the Lions were at the end of the year, you feel the buzz. People are invested in them for the first time in a while. You add a guy like Mahomes to that team. I think we'd all give up a lot, a lot more than we're happy to admit. We'd be a little ashamed to admit what we'd give up to get a quarterback like that on our team. Let's talk a little bit about the halftime show with Rihanna. Now, let me say this. I'm a massive, massive Rihanna fan, but I realized something about myself watching this performance. I am a fan of early Rihanna, not new Rihanna. And you know, obviously when you're at a Super Bowl kind of watch party call with a bunch of guys, people start talking over the performance a little bit. So I had to go back and listen to her set list of what songs she actually played. And it's stunning to me the amount that she didn't play. I would say on a whole, I'd call it a mid-average Super Bowl halftime performance. I don't think we're going to look back on that in 10 years from now and say, do you remember when Rihanna performed? It was, it was average, and I understand the pregnancy, that was awesome. That actually adds a layer. You might remember that part of her show. I should take that back 10 years from now that she was pregnant and performed at the Super Bowl halftime show as like her announcement of being pregnant. That's that's badass. Um, so obviously that's going to limit some of the things she's able to do on stage. But I'm talking purely song choice. A lot of her songs, I just, those ones she played are not my favorite at all. I wrote down, I'm going to read it off here, a list of are in my crop, I would say, of favorite Rihanna songs. And none of them, none of them were played during her show. So without further ado, here we go. Don't Stop the Music, Shut Up and Drive, Ponder Replay, SOS, This Is What You Came For, SNM, Four or Five Seconds, What's Your Name, and Take a Bow. Think about that list of songs right there. That is hit after hit after hit, nostalgia for people in my generation when we went through middle school, middle school dances. Oh, also, did I say Disturbia? Disturbia. 
just the quintessential middle school dance song that everyone loved. And none of those. I, and I also think the crowd would have been way more involved if she went with some of those songs as opposed to more of the her newer like heavy rap and also like um, EDM type beat drops. Because an EDM type beat drop in a Super Bowl crowd doesn't really hit the way I imagine it does in a rave. I've never been to a rave, but I imagine that type of crowd is looking for more of that music. She didn't play any of the, the quote-unquote hits is what I would call them. So she left a lot on the table with song choice in my mind. Back to any game-related things I had. Isaiah Pacheco, love watching that guy run the football. He's, uh, if you're a neutral fan, you're a fan of any team, like you, he makes a lot of fans because you just watch that guy run. You're like, I love the way that kid runs the football. Shout out to him. Shout out to Rutgers. Next observation, athletes and playing the disrespect card. I kind of get it. A lot of people were similar to how Georgia fans were calling disrespect after they beat, they stomped TCU. Um, and we're saying, oh, you guys put us to go five and seven and collectively the country was like, I don't think anyone did unless you found some SEC like B tier blog that Kirby Smart showed the team, which is smart if you're a coach. So you had Travis Kelce saying no one believed in the Chiefs, you know, start of the season, you're picking other people. And while a lot of people had the same reaction as what do you mean the Chiefs are the Chiefs? I, I kind of give him, I kind of back him up and and am in his corner on that one because I do remember the offseason chatter of when the Chiefs sent out Tyreek Hill, which was a ballsy move, for lack of a better term. Shipping out one of the core offensive players on your team, but probably the fastest, shiftiest, quickest player in the NFL, and basically saying you're going to retool your team with a better offensive line, who that strategy worked off against this Eagles defense. Zero sacks for them. But anyways, back. long story short, back to my point here is you had the Raiders go get Devontae Adams. You had the Broncos go get Russell Wilson. And you had the Chargers who spent a lot of money on defense and free agency. And suddenly you had this chatter in the AFC West that the Chiefs were going to be doomed. They may not even win their division. Or what are they going to be like? Um, so you had those spicy takes that people throw out in July because they talk on TV every day and run out of material. So that is valid. And I'm sure Chiefs players heard that. And then you had the playoffs play out where one your quarterback gets hurt in the first game so that automatically adds a cloud of doubt around your team and then you have the Bengals saying Burrowhead people saying Joe Burrow Mahomes is a Burrow now uh, so I, I do think one obviously played a role two I don't look at Kelsey like what do you mean dude get a grip there was serious doubts about this Chiefs team and they answered the bell and they're back on top of the football world and I know for me personally this is this is the moment where going into every season, I'm just penciling in the Kansas City Chiefs to the AFC Championship and likely the Super Bowl to appear in the game until proven otherwise. They've earned that. They are in the AFC Championship every single year. Mahomes is that kind of guy. And obviously, fluke things are going to happen. Or not fluke, I shouldn't say, because the Bengals beating them in Kansas City was not a fluke. They earned that the, the last year when they did, but... It's it's football. It's high level athletes. You're going to have close losses, but they've earned the right now to to have that confidence from pundits, podcasts like myself. The other thing that I wanted to say was the Tubi commercial that made everyone think that they had changed the channel on their TV, especially if if you have a smart TV, was ridiculous. And whoever came up with that might 
might need to spend like five days in jail. Just to think about what they did to the society. There were some clips that came on the internet of people freaking out. I know at where we were watching, we were on a smart TV and we all looked. I was in charge of setting up the TV. So it was it was my ass if something went wrong. And I, I, I got the cold sweats. I got the sweats on my hands. Everyone looks at me like, what? So I immediately, thankfully, I saw where the remote was and nobody was touching it. So I was like, this is... This is a commercial. This is not, no one's touching it. It's either a ghost or it's a commercial. And I was hoping it wasn't a ghost. So we were good. No one panicked and made another mistake by actually leaving. But that's a, a ridiculous commercial and that should be banned. QB sneaks. The Eagles, my goodness, perfected the QB sneak. We've talked a lot on this podcast about QB sneaks and how and why people don't do that more. We, especially Michigan fans, as you watched in the Fiesta Bowl, um, where we, Handed off to a fullback who used to be a linebacker on the goal line, fumbled. Why not just put guys behind your quarterback and push him in the end zone like the Eagles have mastered? It's a cheat code, especially when you have a guy like Jalen Hurts who squats 600 pounds. Speaking of Fiesta Bowl, pretty insane that the turf was still so bad at State Farm Stadium. Thank you to the guy on Twitter who corrected me, or I guess didn't correct me, but gave me the knowledge that this was special turf grown for two years for this game, not the same turf. That was at the Fiesta Bowl. Either way, still super embarrassing that you can't get the field right for the biggest game of the year. And then lastly, as we think about all these playoff games, we have to relate them to the Lions. And this game, I would say, further cemented my belief that it is very, very helpful. Not going to say mandatory just yet, but very, very helpful to have a quarterback that can give you some sort of a running threat. We saw with Mahomes scramble around. Um, even on a bum ankle, we know he's shifty. And you saw with Hurts, three rushing touchdowns, designed runs for him. Just freezes. The, they showed all those Greggles and point out how the linebacker was frozen on exchanges. That That's huge for an offense to add that wrinkle. We saw what the Eagles did to Fred Warner as well in the 49ers game. So I wouldn't be opposed. Now, obviously, the guy that comes to mind is a Bryce Young or Stroud if he's there for you. Stroud really only showed his scrambling ability in the Georgia game. So I think he'll do it in the pros, but you really don't know. That's not his that's not his MO, whereas Young is more of a use his legs to make plays guy. But it does not hurt. And that's no knock on Jared Goff. He's just he's not a scrambling quarterback. I still like him. I still do believe that you can go far with Jared Goff. I just think having the legs aspect on your quarterback is an X factor that makes anyone's job easier, especially if we were to lose Ben Johnson at some point, which feels like an inevitability. That just gives your offensive coordinator an extra wrinkle in his bag to focus on. And then the last thing on football is we had a question from long listener Ben V in our group chat who asked, is the floor for the Lions, the floor of their expectations next year to make the playoffs. And it was a unanimous yes. Got to make the playoffs next year. I That might make people uncomfortable listening to that, that this team has expectations now, but just start embracing them over the offseason. I think FanDuel had us at the ninth highest odds to win the Super Bowl next year. So top 10, upper echelon of the National Football League, you have to make the playoffs. If you don't, we'll be upset. And we will look for answers as to why that happened. And we will be disappointed because the expectations are set there after how you finished last year. Get off to a better start and make something happen for the city. The city is starved for a playoff appearance from any team. Speaking of teams 
that are starved from playoff appearances. Your Detroit Pistons. What happened this week? Sadiq Bay out. James Wiseman in. The word that I wrote for this trade was perplexing. Could also be subbed with confusing, head-scratching. I'm going to say this. I'm a Sadiq Bay fan. I like him. Maybe it's because I watched him at Villanova shredding my Butler Bulldogs. Maybe it's because I loved James Edwards' athletic article about his insane training regimen in Colorado during the offseason. I just think this guy has the makeup to get better as his career goes on because of how hard he works. And he always like, you just see guys that hate to lose. And like after these losses, even though there's been so many, you can tell he's not going to dap up people on the other team. He, he, he wears these losses. There's a couple of assumptions that I think can be made from this deal. Like I said, we weren't stocking any draft assets out of this. We were simply swapping players. So my first assumption is that the team, the Pistons, didn't want to extend Bay's contract, which was coming up sooner than later. They have those three guys in the draft class of Killian Hayes, Isaiah Stewart, Sadiq Bay. So those are extensions. They got to make decisions on these guys at some point. And clearly they were thinking they didn't want to extend Sadiq Bay um, and thought, you know, maybe now's the time to trade him. Two, Troy Weaver clearly to me has a desire for centers and former top draft picks. You look at the resume, um, you know, the jokes about acquiring all the centers during free agency and trade deadline times, the former stars, former, I mean, former top draft picks, Josh Jackson, Kevin Knox, Marvin Bagley, Trey Lyles. I mean, I think I saw some graphic today that high school recruiting rankings of our team are through the roof, but you know, that doesn't mean they're going to transfer to NBA success. Speaking of James Edwards, I referenced one of his articles. The second mention of him has to do with his very well-written article um, kind of making sense of the trade for Pistons fans with the knowledge he has within the team. And there were some quotes in there about how Bay was starting to wear on the front office and coaching staff that they felt like he had tunnel vision at points of just trying to do too much on offense and that they almost wanted him to do less as in what he did his rookie year where he was mainly a catch and shoot three-point guy, had great efficiency, made all rookie you know, and what, in his second year last year, he had like a 55-point game. I mean, not many guys can score that many points in the NBA in a game. So I do think he has a special talent. And what that tells me, this is n- nothing to do with James Edward. He's just reporting what he's heard and his sources, which I believe are very good. I don't like who's ever talking in the media or in the organization to the media about kind of s- – almost in a way throwing Sadiq under the bus saying he didn't meet what we wanted. It's, it's kind of his fault why we, he forced us to trade him because he wasn't buying in. I don't, I I don't know. Maybe I'm naive, but I feel like my bias of Sadiq Bay's work ethic and the type of guy he is like, I almost want to blame coaching more than the player himself where why isn't coaching? Why aren't you able to get through to this human being to convince him that doing less is the better way to play for this team and then also coaching but as well as the situation he's in can anyone blame Sadiq Bey for doing too much or taking too many shots or forcing the offense when you're on a team that wins 15 games per year and is basically always the first pick in the draft since you've been drafted by them like how do we know that 
in five years from now when he's approaching 30 and ideally we're in playoffs that he realizes he needs to do less you know as we add talent like we add a one banyama sadiq's like okay i realize we have a freak on our team that is generational i'm going to go back to my catch and shoot three-point ways i'm going to lock in on my defense and i'm going to be a very valuable player to this team in my mind i can picture that happening but clearly the front office thought the risk was worth the reward for getting james wiseman so I'm sad. Um, I'm a little nervous. More eyebrows raised at the direction of the franchise. This offseason will be huge for James Wiseman himself. I'm interested to see how he performs. It's a smart move by the Pistons organization in a way to make trades because now I'm inclined to watch one or two, three, four, five games down the stretch to see how he looks. I'll tune into the highlights to see how he's looking because he is exciting. He's a tantalizing talent, as they say. Um, yeah, anytime you're a number two pick, it's it's interesting, and you're a center, and you're an athletic freak. But we'll see. I mean, I I will remind myself this. I wrote this down. We made a similar move at the deadline for Marvin Bagley. Um, again, a number two pick center type player. And I thought he looked pretty good at the end of the season there for the Pistons. Had high hopes for him going into this year, and he's been injured, and we haven't seen much from him. So I'm going to remind myself, no matter how caught up you might get in a couple good James Wiseman performances, remember this is a long haul, and things can change to the point where there was many people on Pistons Twitter, Pistons fan base, that were like, yeah, let's ship Bagley out this trade deadline. Oh, let's bring Wiseman, but we got to get rid of Bagley. And to think we were just all excited about fleecing the Kings for him last year and him performing well in a few games down the stretch. So things can change very fast. Can't get too high, too low. I'm going to acknowledge that I feel sad because the Deke Bay's off his team. I really like the guy, but I wish him the best in, in Atlanta in a, in a sick way. I almost hope he's really good to like vindicate my feelings, but then also that's going to make me more angry that we let a talent like that go. Worst case scenario is he becomes like a Chris Middleton because all Pistons fans are familiar with that story, how we let him go. So we will see what happens, but just know that one eye is focused on this Pistons team and especially how things materialize in the offseason. Okay, last thing for this week's show is a little college hoops. So we're going to start with some records last year 17 and 14 11 and 9 in big 10 play this year currently 14 and 11 8 and 6 in big 10 play you probably guessed it but those are michigan hoops records the first one was what they were at when they got into the tournament last year and then this year is where they currently stand i should note as of recording they play in about an hour against Wisconsin at Wisconsin, which is a massive game for the tournament hopes now that they lost to Indiana. Let's dive into that game real quick. Um, I did not see most of the game due to my ice fishing trip this weekend, so I can't speak at it to the highest level of kind of feeling the whole game flow. I did watch an extended highlights, shout out Matthew Love's ball, uh, and saw the tough stretch at the end of the game where they could not score. Neither team could score, to be fair, but it, it's, it's really tough. First of all, I should say the good. They wore all maze uniforms which they need to be wearing way more often the all maze fab five good vibes good era wear that way more often okay two is that i don't i mean they led most of the game i felt like they were the better team from what i saw it was hood shafino and trace jackson davis who 
came to play for Indiana. They were really doing all the work for them. And it's just an all too familiar feeling for this Michigan team of not closing out the game when they needed it most. And you would like to think at home they can kind of squeak squeak those out, but they really haven't all year, which is is definitely going to cost them if they can't really turn things around here to finish out the season. Um, to, to a number behind that point is nine of their 11 losses are by single digits. So it is kind of people roll their eyes when you throw out this team can play with anyone in the country, you know, after losing to Central Michigan. But, like, they really they really can. I mean, they've gone toe-to-toe with a lot of teams. They just haven't been winning. And it's a mix of a variety of factors we've talked about the whole year. But bottom line is if they can't figure that out, if they don't have one more surge in them, they're ultimately going to miss out on the tournament. I think Lenardi still has them as, like, teams considered. But they have some good opportunities coming up. What happens now is they have to sweep Wisconsin. They have to beat Michigan State at home. And they have to steal at least one of at Illinois, at Rutgers, or at Indiana, which is very, 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 very hard to do. It's hard to win on the road in the Big Ten anyways, and those teams are solid. They might even have to win two of those road games. At the very least, they have to most likely win one game in the Big Ten tournament. And depending on how those away games go, they might have to win two. Another tall task, neutral site. The bottom line is the difference to me, especially in that Indiana game, um, when I think back to Jawan's best team, the Elite Eight team, is that team always knew how to finish halves strong and then start the second half even stronger. That kind of middle eight, you know, is usually a football term, but it applies to basketball too. How do you end the first four minutes of the first half and how do you start the first four minutes of the second half? Because you can really, if you play well in both those, you can build yourself a double-digit lead and then, yes, team will go on a run at some point to cut it maybe to like five or three, but you always have control of the game. And then obviously if it ends up being close, you have a team that can close out that last four minutes of the game. And that's what we saw from Michigan is that they didn't close out that last four minutes. Now, Indiana didn't really either. It was kind of both teams just putzing around out there, but you surrendered the lead and then you yourself can't close. You don't control your own destiny at that point. That's really all I have about Michigan. Michigan State didn't really see this game as well. Went back and watched the highlights same way I did for Michigan. Matthew loves ball. It was Like I said, road wins are hard in the Big Ten, so you'll take any road win you can get, even if they're a 3-11 Ohio State team. Um, Ohio State still has talent on their team, and the way they went in there and played defense was very impressive. Tough for Evan to not be on tonight. This was his chance to really give Joey Hauser his flowers. I'll do it for him. Shot the lights out of the ball. Played a clean game, efficient game. He really was the main guy for them. And then, you know, besides him, it was kind of a balanced attack. It wasn't the prettiest game, uh, especially that first half. There wasn't a lot of points being scored at first. But if you can take this defense, and it travels, defense travels, we all know that, and you can clamp down, and you can get, you know, a burst of a performance from a Hauser, a Hall, a Walker, a Hogard, you can win games. To play at their highest level, they're going to need more balanced scoring. They're, they're at their best, obviously, when... You know, every guy that plays 25-plus minutes has, like, 8 to 10 points. Um, the ball's moving, assists are happening, and they play good defense. And then then they really got something cooking. Also, Jackson Kohler caught my eye in this game. He came in and had 6 points, I believe, and had some nice moves in the post. So he's still a weapon. Obviously, the defense is going to hamper him for his minutes because he's still young. He's got to be in the weight room a couple more seasons to really build out and get some good coaching. But it's impressive to see him come in as a freshman and be able to find a way to get buckets in a Big Ten game. 
that's also kind of kind of it I had for them. A key moment in the game, I would say, is like early on, midway, second half, Ohio State made a big push to around five points. And then you saw a senior older team in Michigan State really buckle down and answer with a larger run of their own to blow the game back out again, as opposed to letting the team hang around and maybe sweep one out in their home arena. So that those are signs you look for when it comes to March because Big Ten Tournament, March Madness, there's going to be situations like that on neutral sites. And they definitely have the experience, the veteran presence to stay composed and counter a punch like that that Ohio State threw. As we look ahead to the week, like I said, Michigan plays tonight. MSU game is canceled for Wednesday. And then we have a fluid situation with Saturday in Michigan, which will be a... I would say a surreal experience um, if that game does take place. I, I saw the Maze Rage kind of throw out that they, they have something in the works to show support for Michigan State. It'd be awesome to see everyone wear green or, or white or a color for Michigan State. Like like we've talked about earlier in the year with the football incident, like the rivalry is just at a nasty place. And um, it's a great chance for a sporting event like that for everyone to rally around just being human beings human beings in the state of Michigan who we're all way more alike than we are different um, and to support one another another, and realize that at the end of the day, like we've learned the theme of this week is sports really are pretty insignificant and are a relief and escape entertainment from our, from real life stuff. By the way, I'm, it'll be, it'll be that and, and MSU's first home game will be a goosebump surreal experience um, to see everyone rally together. So on that note, thank you for sticking along on the solo ride if you've made it this long. Let me know how I did in any comments or reviews. It was it was nerve-wracking. I'll do some editing, you know, to make it flow probably better than it sounds on the initial listen-through. But yeah, thanks everyone. Cheers to episode 109 and to a fun football season and getting into college basketball as we get close to Selection Sunday. Cheers.